welcome to the Free Cities podcast. My name is Timothy Allen, and this is the official podcast of the Free Cities Foundation. Hello, and welcome to episode number 56 of the Free Cities podcast. Well, I hope you've had a good week. I've had a very enjoyable one. We're obviously building up to Christmas now, and I live in a house full of children, so you can imagine it's very exciting times. I've uh, also been rereading a book that I've had in my library for quite a while now. Um, the other day, I had to write a speech which was to be delivered at a 100th anniversary get together of a photographic society and in that preparation I scoured the internet for other things that were also celebrating their 100th anniversary and guess what popped up in the results well the Weimar Republic hyperinflation that whole historical debacle happened back in 1923 a year when the Bavarian Prime Minister submitted a bill which proposed that gluttony be made a penal offence. They described a glutton as, in quotes, one who habitually devotes himself to pleasures of the table to such a degree that he might arouse discontent in view of the distressful condition of the population. No doubt the Bavarian Prime Minister would not have included himself in that definition or at least he would not have done it in view of the public, which is probably more likely, if I'm honest. Anyway, that book is called When Money Dies by Adam Ferguson, and it's an excellent account for that year, which, if you read it, you will no doubt notice, like me, some of the things that reflect a few of the experiences that you might be having in today's world. Of course, I'm not predicting an imminent hyperinflationary event, but I would like to read you the words of someone interviewed for the book, Erna von Pustau, whose father was a small Hamburg businessman. Quotes, We used to say, the dollar is going up, while in reality, the dollar remained stable, but our mark was falling. But you see, we could hardly say that our mark was falling, since in figures it was constantly going up. And so were the prices. And this was much more visible than the realization that the value of our money was going down. It all seemed just madness, and it made the people mad. End of quotes. Don't get mad, people. Get educated. Anyway, back to today's show. And it's an episode about amongst other things, the ills of the current monetary system, but also about architecture and free city planning. Martinus Hrobler is the chief architect at Tipolis, which I would describe as the most prominent company in the free city space at the forefront of planning, building and operating free city projects throughout the globe. Now, I loved talking to Martinus. Not least because he let me rant about one of my personal bugbears, which is modernist architecture. Well, modernist everything, probably. 
but um, in this case, architecture. Always good to get that off my chest whenever possible. I hope it doesn't bother you too much. Amongst other things, we also touch upon subjects such as urban design, progressivism, central planning, new urbanism, fiat, in inverted commas, architecture, and I get Martinus's opinion on what he thinks of the way that the Emirates have evolved as a possible case study for urban planning in the future. Don't forget, you can contact me through the Free Cities Foundation's social media channels or our Telegram group, which I will put in a link in the show notes. And I'm especially interested in book recommendations, of course. So drop me a line at your earliest convenience, as they say. And failing that, in the meantime, just sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Martinus Chrobler. But in English, it just always Does ends up as call Martinus. You Martin? No, oh, rather sure. my, my nickname is Tini, like T I E N I E. Tini, okay. Yeah. Right, Martinus. I'll call you Martinus. As a way to, to start, can you tell me a little bit about. So, this is what I understand. You're the chief architect at Tipolis. Yes. Correct, okay. Tell me what you did before you came to Tipolis, because what I'm interested to find out is how you end up designing free cities. And, and, is, and is designing free cities important, or was it just designing cities that, that was important? Um, okay, so prior to coming on board with Tipolis, I, I studied architecture, professional architecture, and practiced um, in South Africa, um, on a different range of projects, from interior stuff to urban design um, projects. Also, globally, had a few projects, um, practiced in London for a number of years, um, and, and, and not with my own practice, and also opened up my own practice in in South Africa that I had for yeah decades, or decade. Decades, I was going to say, you don't look that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and but in parallel to that, I've always been um, libertarian minded and also found um, how the especially through the Mises Institute, how they, you know, clarified my position for me in a sense. And it's also amazing. Another Mises Institute connection. It's interesting. (laughs) The Mises Institute have done a good job around the world of bringing people from all walks of life into this kind of lifestyle. Yes, yeah, no, I believe so. And um, it was, but it was also a network of um, people in South Africa that's also libertarian-minded that um, introduced me to that. And... But that was quite a while ago. But I think from from an early age, I you know I, things just didn't make sense. And for a lot of children, it's so much easier to see that. Wait a minute, this is just so much <laughs> um, mythology layered on this and that for you know to try to validate this idea of a of a state and um, central planning and um, and also a lot of frustration throughout my career with um, architecture. Now you can see how it definitely influences the product of architecture in a super negative way state mandates you mean or yes, just the yeah, state yeah. That, well over regulations and state mandates and and also that is no it doesn't come from anywhere it's just uh, exercise in power and um you know top 
top-down control, of course, that um, that leads to that. Um, and then it was amazing to to connect with um, the Free Cities movement. Um, How did that happen? Um, I can't remember exactly. I think through some people in South Africa, they told me about um, Titus Gable, and I contacted him and realized that um, you know there's a lot of a lot of potential now. If you have these ecologies of freedom, you can make amazing cities, and that is you know one of the <laughs> the best things you can do. And I I think you'll be hard pressed to do it somewhere else these days. Um, um, even existing amazing cities are being ruined by you know bad um, policy and not being allowed to mature or being allowed to mature to not not protected or not protected. Um, there's a complete a complete there's no price discovery in how we should you know live together. So yeah, it's it's really bad. Are any of your previous projects were they were they ever cities planning on that kind of a scale? Um, no, maybe conceptually or for projects or for thought experiments and um, also to design processes of how something can emerge on its own. Also, you know, studies into nature and um, the the patterns that emerge out of nature, um, stuff like that. So the, the largest physical stuff would have been if there's a... a estate development for example and they have um you know it's a, so it's a, a project on a larger scale but there's um sometimes it's all limited in terms of zoning so for example you can't it ends up being mainly residential stuff with maybe a little school year or um you know a kindergarten or some clubhouse or few shops and a golf course or stuff like that but um not on the complexity level of um of a city so um yeah, yeah. So, no, so, no cities designed. <laughs> so, so, so since you've come on board with Tipolis, then how are you? Where are you drawing your conclusions from as to how you know city, free cities should be designed and built? Then, is it just talking to people? Is it big discussions, or is it you? Is it you know? Well, well it's it's sort of the vocation. So you know, we've been trained in that in. Um, in architecture school and um, um, we've spoken about architecture school though and I think there's a lot of really bad ideas in architecture school as well that's what I'm that's what I'm kind of hinting at here because I I have had this conversation with you before and um, it's one of my big bugbears at the moment is the modernist movement and how it hasn't had a massive impact on the way buildings were built, you know, it had an impact on all all across the arts, music, everything, you know, and, but buildings in particular, and and it's a very widespread amongst what I would call, I don't know, the intellectual class in architecture. I think the the average Mm. person on the street knows what they like Mm. and they don't like boxes and, and, you know, and weird shapes and they Mm. like, you know, classical house design or or building design yet you have this kind of class of people who for whatever reason and i'd quite like to go into your thoughts on why the modernist movement okay even exists but but it's it's hard to make sense of all of this and um different people would interpret it in different ways and even at university we had um different answers being given in revisionist history etc but um i think um there's a few lenses that can be interesting to look at it so 
One of it can be, you know, to think, okay, well, it's one of the oldest things in the world, even back in biblical times, um, where the nation said, no, you know, they want a leader, and God told them, no, you don't need a leader, you've got me now, and but they insisted on a leader, and you know, there's, there's a, <laughs> always, you know, a large part of human nature or a faction of humans that um, would like to be led by a, a certain elite. And, um, you know, so there's been a lot of ills, not just only in architecture and urban planning that led to that. The, um, but if we, if we take it to uh, um, maybe the, the drive for um, central planning and also um, through history as we got to the nation state and, you know, they were led to maybe artificially grow because um, um, of various reasons, one being you know, usurping the money. I was going to say. <laughs> all, yeah. of the, all of those stealing, that enabled them. Stealing and pillaging yes, and, yes, yeah, and printing yeah. money. Yeah. Yes, all yeah. And, all um, um, but eventually that obviously found its... So you, you always have the strong pressure of elite class that wants to um, tell other people how they should live. And that becomes a, a strong identity. Um, even in architecture school and in some other professions as well, you are taught in university when you walk in there, you are now the selected you know, very selected few that should tell other people how to live and design society. And, you know, all of a sudden your identity becomes that, oh, wait a minute, I'm this very important uh, person. And also that group <coughs> um, um, or that whole institution has this identity and it plays so into someone's ego that, you know, maybe, I don't know, I'm just guessing, maybe that can be part of the problem. And that people, you know, once you have that idea or identity about yourself or your profession or your... Um, or an institution, then it's hard to distance yourself from it. Maybe so. So there's always this um, this this pressure of the elite class. I think, um, and also government protects the elite class because they they need them or the state. Not um, and that definitely found its way through to institutions of um, universities. Once again, the role of what a university should be is not. <laughs> um, well, also that like, yeah, yeah, that doesn't answer is, the yeah. question: is why. Modernism, like, okay. I mean, the elite class, I get, you know, but why did they pick modernism as their kind of big thing of the post-war era? You know? Yeah, so I think by then people were um, there was there's a lot of competing art movements and movements everywhere, but they were particularly um, um, well, well, two things. I think after the war, they were during the war positioned very um, against traditionalism and arch traditional architecture for, for various reasons. And they wanted to escape the hegemony of it. And um, as the, you know, and they also positioned themselves as cri critical in defeating um, the, past. Yeah, 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 the, yeah. the past. And I think through that, that <clears throat> made them sort of the victors. And that's when a lot of those ideas were uh, transplanted to, especially the US universities and it proliferated there sort of unchallenged for, for, for a long time. Um, it, well, it was challenged, say, by modernism, uh, by postmodernism, I would say, but it's still on the same branch. Um, I would say modernism said, okay, we, we now have to remake society, and to remake it, we're going to reject tradition. We don't, we don't like it. So um, you, you, you see it again today with progressivism, how they position themselves as not just removing the bad things out of the past but in order for them to work with all the um, contradictions they have to reject tradition in its entirety 
I think modernism had the same problems because if you just, once again, like a child could easily see the contradictions in it, but for them to sort of validate their <laughs> position that they took because of um, their identity being in it, maybe they, you know, they have to reject tradition in, in its entirety. And especially beauty in both of those movements, really. Beauty was one of the traditions that was certainly rejected, the, the, the classical version of beauty. We see that now with progressivism, I think, as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's a, I think it's the same thing, you know, how... Yeah, that's, Which is that's a, was a, great... a strange thing to... It's a strange thing to reject. <laughs> I mean, really, when you think about it. I mean, yes. I can understand, yes. let's kick out the old institutions. But, mm. but things like beauty. Mm. I mean, you've got a, you've got a very long historical um, yeah. reference point of people loving beauty yeah and and people still love beauty i mean nothing changed yeah of course so yeah so that's that goes back to um i'll I'll speak about uh, about the price discovery that doesn't um you know it's not existing anymore but i think in a sense the um the postmodernists revolted a a bit against that but they like i said they're on the same branch so the modernists said let's um let's redesign society after the war and it's not like Oh, after because of the war, they had to, there was always pressure for people to design society, and this was a you know this they took um, that was a great opportunity for them to do so. So, but they said, okay, we're going to do it on reason. You know, we're going to build this new modern man, and while they do it, okay, what does you know what what does the modern the modern man need? So they designed this whole new idea of the modern man, which goes completely against human nature. That's um, but you have to because otherwise modern man's who was the contradiction what was their definition yeah, so the modern man would have been you know a modern man he likes to work so many days and he needs he wants to live in an apartment block and this and that so and it was very utilitarian so they didn't really factor in maybe the fact that our deep pursuit for beauty human nature and how our identity should be in that and all the um i would also say all the maybe voluntary super organisms that um that makes up societies um they were very much on just a relationship with um you know the the individual and the state for example which ironically leads to more individualism whereas um if you give individual freedom to someone the first thing they'll do is realize okay wait a minute i'm going to cooperate with people um and not just because um i can get further it's just it's in our human nature to do so in any way we have a a whole um, mammal brain <laughs> developed to to do that with a lot of rewards for doing that, and if you if you have society on these voluntary terms, um, you get very strong and resilient, um, adaptable superorganisms of tennis club, church, neighbourhood, um, city economies, and and it's amazing. You know, I'm part of many superorganisms, and you are part of many superorganisms. Um, if you scale upwards and um, and those superorganisms re- remain when I die. You know they remain like the termite mound, or and you can also go back in yourself. You know you're a superorganism of um, apart now from soul and everything from <laughs> a lot of um, organisms, etc. But then then back to back to um, um, postmodernism. So they they said, okay, well this doesn't work for us. It's too ugly, and they don't go far enough. We maybe want to. I think their motivation might have been. Um, they want something that's more socialist, more radical, and they, they, you know, modernism in a sense disproved it um, in theory and in practice in a sense, and they just, you know, 
throw, <laughs> threw over the, the chessboard in a sense and said, okay, well, now we're going to remake society, but we're going to not do it on the base of reason. We'll, we'll do it on the base of feelings. And I think in philosophy as well, you know, so if I, the whole idea of the have now, uh, you know, the subject of reality, and there's a lot of off truths that they exploit it and, um, you know, can easily deconstruct any position and, and you know, show, uh, uh, you know, the Foucault and Derrida's and, and all of those that brilliantly did that. Um, and so, so that's how I make sense of it. It's, um, it's still... It's still a very complicated thing, and I think, um, um, yeah, depending who you ask, they'll, they'll. But but it's an interesting lens for me for me to look at it. So, but for me, they're still on the same branch of saying, you know, we in this position to to redesign society, yes. which is obviously, <coughs> I suppose, a good thing, the redesigning of things. But <clears throat> I have, I, I, I tend to agree with you. One thing I, I think is apparent that often when you intellectualize something, including architecture, obviously most people, well, a lot of people um, interact with architecture on, on quite a sort of emotional level. It's something, you know, and, and the more you intellectualize it, the more you, the more you sort of separate yourself from, from that thing. And um, I think that's a very common thing amongst um, edu educated people is they like that. They like that fact that there's this kind of gap between them and normal people. And I think it can mean they can't see the wood for the trees. And I think modernism is a really good example mm. because um, when you see, well, when I see a brutalist building in the landscape, it's literally sociopathic. It's like, how could you do that if you had any connection with the real world, like why, why would you do that? And I understand it's like, you know, form follows function kind of thing and all this kind of stuff. But still, you know, when you, if you compare a, a beautiful, a beautiful yes. <laughs> handmade building yeah. with a, with a, with a sort of constructed box, it's, it's very obvious if you're a certain type of person to know, what the difference between the two of them is. There is another interesting um, re uh, person who, who has a reason for why this has happened. You know Safety Namus, do you? The, the yes. Of the Bitcoin standard. Yep. And I'm not sure I agree with him on this, but his theory, of course, is that this kind of architecture has been decimated by the, the, the money monetary system we have. Uh, you know, it, I mean, in the word fiat mm. has become almost like an adjective now to describe crap crass yeah. and crap things and he would call it fiat architecture i don't know whether you what do you think about that notion that that the fiat the, the fiatization of the monetary system has meant that people are designing bad buildings because um of the pressures of the fiat money system to create cheap buildings that they can knock down and build again and knock down and build. i don't know what do you yeah. think about it yeah I, I tend to agree with him um it's hard not to agree with him on anything he's a well, um, of yeah. all the things, I know he's a, he's a, a but but in that one thing, I yes, think most people who read the, the the Bitcoin Standard say amazing book. Not sure about the fiat, you know, fiat art and fiat <clears throat> architecture side of it. Well, I think it goes back to price discovery, and if you want real price discovery of what is the true cost of us of um, um, rejecting tradition or um, building a skyscraper, or instead of a this or a that, or. Um, there is no price discovery because the money is broken. So 
um, Bitcoin would have fixed it, <laughs> and or any private money for that for that matter. And if we look at if there were true price discovery, you will realize that wait a minute, people are willing to pay uh, a premium to live in beautiful places. And the utilitarian nature of modernism didn't take that into account. They think, oh, well, you'll be happy with a few a park and a this and a that and some artificialities. But I mean, that is actually evident now in, in the housing market in the UK, for example. You yes. pay more for an old house than you pay for a new house. Yes. Like a 500-year-old house costs more than a one-year-old house of the same shape and size. So yeah, yeah, yeah. it's obvious, you know, the market, even with the fiat system, still gets to express itself a little bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah I don't think it's the only reason, but I think it's a, it's a, it's a major, major reason. Uh, reason. And, um, and, and it's also hard to say, if you, if you um, try to centrally plan a society and, uh, you know, urbanism and something that's beautiful, um, or try to put it in a graph or Excel spreadsheet, there's a lot of stuff that we don't even know that we don't know um, about why we're attracted to certain things. And um, so you're definitely going to miss out on, on a lot of things. It's like creating a rhinoceros. I mean, you can't assemble it. It needs to it needs to grow from, and it comes from a process of many other <laughs> rhinoceros. Rye. It is rhinoceros, <laughs> but yes, I know what you're saying. Um, so, but that doesn't that doesn't stop the centralists of um, of trying because they it, you know it's a power play and they're not going to give it up, um, and but also having not just bad mouthing architecture and um, in there's a lot of um, movements and counter movements in architecture schools um, that that definitely recognizes this and I was lucky to be in one. Um, with some professors as well that said, you know, let's go go back and look at the processes of nature and, you know, be very process organized. Let's rather trust a, a sound process, not really knowing what it's going to spit out, but if the <clears throat> process is um, not born in sin, but it it is born in voluntarism and um, property rights, etc., then you can fairly trust that um, there will be price discovery and because you have to economize, you can't you can't just make a city out of gold, um, and that that'll be the best best outcome. So it won't be in utopia, but um, the price discovery and also the it would lead to that. And also a very important thing is that um, if you if you design the elites design, it's a, you you live in a world designed by the few, um, and normally they design stuff for that they wouldn't even you know have to live in or projects for other people but if you if you look at the process of all traditional typologies it was that's still where tourists flock to it was um it was the sort of incremental um um how can i say um process yeah yeah process and then the incremental um collaboration of a lot of individual or smaller builders that together did something that doesn't mean it was just unplanned and haphazard but they made plans and they um, but with that comes a lot of quicker churn and quicker price discovery to um, <clears throat> what society have and you have the hive mind and you, you tap into the power of the hive mind rather than than just a centralist um, and you have this amazing feedback system um, and the that's one of the, I think if you look at traditional cities, that's one of the things that you realize it's it's made up of a lot of smaller projects in, in a sense. And How do you incorporate that into the designing of a free city then? Mm. Yeah, yeah, because, that's, yeah, but, yeah, well, yeah. Presumably, 
you're designing the whole thing or is that not the case? You design the major things and then you let the rest evolve. Yes, so it's, it depends on many things, but the short answer would be that's something that we realized very soon is, wait a minute, <laughs> this is going to look terrible if it's just designed by one person, even if it's the, you know, even if you, you are great. And some people might like it, some might not. Um, so I think a, a good plan would be to, to invite a lot of different um, architects and role players and owners of, you know, that will take up an opportunity there and to do that. I, ideally, you would like to say, um, listen, we, a free city will have this ecologies of freedom where there would be price discovery, say, you know, no tax or zero tax, just a, just a fee and um, only voluntary commitments, meaning that the regulation would be, you know, very lean, just really to be there what it, what it intended to do to, you know, protect um, life and property. Um, Not even planning <coughs> planning restrictions. Um, no, no. So yeah, so <laughs> that that's one model. Sorry to say, but that's not what we're going to do. So the one model would be to say just let it go for, and eventually the best typology would emerge, which we believe it will be. But that might take four hundred years right. of court cases and stuff being built and <laughs> brought down mm-hmm. again. So the idea is to say, well, how how much of this can we get into the design process so that you don't have to do that, and to do to do that okay we have to make certain decisions but still still saying okay we're gonna we're gonna have a stab at it and build this typology or start rolling it out and as we do we get new information in and you can have all kind of contingency plans and and learn from it and also to quickly as possible get a hive mind there that it's not just designed by by the few and um and through that um have a have a better thing so so to do to do that now to to guess what the sorry so, so you have this process that continually will self-adjust and put in new information that that um, is not possible really in 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 other jurisdictions so um, a lot of uh, movements like the new urbanists and they have wonderful ideas but they, they i think they lack the the jurisdiction to do it in so um, their stuff is, would be at danger of, you know, just being frozen for for a long time, and th- that they don't have these. Um, you better things. explain what new urbanism is. That's a new term for me. New urbanism. Uh, what what is new urbanism? Um, I, I would say, in, in short, it's a it's a movement to say that um, um, we urbanism should be more traditional typologies. I, I would say, yeah, and you know they have um, you know the transect of how. Um, uh, not necessarily different zones and, you know, more mixed use and more walkable, etc. More, more human-centric, human would that be so? It would be, you know, copying, uh, not copying, just blindly copying, but it would be more traditional looking. The, the problem just is um, those cities were actually created by a process. So you should copy the process, not just the outcome. Hmm. So they are, in a sense, copying the, the outcome, um, which is great, but... You know, time moves on and you need, um, context is different. So you can't just copy an outcome and put it somewhere else necessarily. But they're doing great work and they're making great, great strides forward. And I think, um, I don't think they're married to the idea of, you know, just copying. They would like to copy the process, but it doesn't make sense because... It takes too you, long. No, no, and you're not allowed to. There's not a jurisdiction yet that you can do it. So I think, you know, free cities would, would give that jurisdiction for them and, you know, they're great ideas. Is so that, it, you know, sorry to butt in, is that, mm. when you say the process, are you talking about, you know, you know something like the 
I don't know, the, the sewage system being there, the, the water system, the, the, this, and then everything arising naturally around those things. There's a river here, so obviously you get the port there and the, the, this here and the, that there. And over a period of 300 years, a city emerges. Is that the process we're talking about? Um, yes, yeah. So that process would include, um, you know, the price discovery. So as you go along, you realize what your and there might be different waves. Maybe your society is made up of more entrepreneurs and then later more families and then this and then the mine is shut down or then something is discovered. So it's a continual adaptation. Long term and short term, there may be um, um, all, all kinds of things happening. And the, um, the but that process might um, will also include, you know, the context. Um, of the port is here and the river is here, etc. Et and I think cities that really flourished were ones that um, was able to also get things going like division of labor. But to get division of labor um, going, you need to be as many connections, almost like a brain, as many connections as possible, as close as possible. Um, and I, I don't mean just, you know, um, Zoom connections that has a quality, but, you know, face to face connections, walk, walkable and f to allow these super organisms of tennis club and neighborhood and all kinds of institutions um, um, to emerge and, and keep them healthy. Um, and I think that is that is what really drives a city or these super organisms where people, you know, you, you just um, sort of flow, flow through them. Um, then, but but maybe if we if we go back to to the process of um, um, how do you in, how do you start? Of, yeah, how yeah, about in, that? <laughs> yeah, so so back back to instead of um, just um, having no rules and let everyone fight it out in court on the very basic rules of property rights and um, voluntarism, um, we can say okay, we we think. Having this ecology of freedoms, we we would model. Um, we we try to say what it would have looked like. So two ways. One would be to try to model it. So you can you know use all kinds of inputs into a model, and but and um, and that can be very helpful. Um, but we we realize there is a lot of limitations in that. There's some soft things that that is quite hard, and. Um, so we prefer a process of looking at history that said the trial and error of history already modeled a lot of these things. And the nice thing about it is it, it modeled stuff that we can't measure or don't even know we should measure. Um, but once again, it doesn't mean going back to the past. It means sort of lear learning from that process. Obviously, it would have looked different if they had different technology um, like we have today or prices are different then and now. Um, skill sets are different um, so but then to to go back to that to that process to see what we learned then and then add um, how best we can model new things and and take a stab at it and say okay that starting to roll, roll that out and then also having the the advantage of that the the process in a, in a free city would be would make for quick adaptation. If something is wrong, you know, quick churn. If something doesn't work, it, it can quickly be be changed. Um, and then also to try to do, before you physically construct it, to have as many of that in the design process so that you can um, sort of maybe gamify the future of it, only to an extent, probably, um, by the interested parties and whoever would, um, you know, be the property owners or society and all the role players and see um, how, 
you know, how it, it maybe would have emerged to try to do that. So what is that process then um, from start to finish? How much, for example, do you enter into the initial plan of a free city according to the way you do it? What is it that you allocate? Do you have to zone it? Do you have to say this is going to be here, this is going to be here, or whatever? Obviously, the topography of the land and all that kind of stuff makes a yes. difference. But yeah. so, so in a sense, um, we we like the um, the continuation um, of people like Christopher Alexander um, working with patterns and also um, um, you know to develop these patterns that can be adjusted to, to the context, um, context of culture and changes, etc. So we'll, and it's a lot of overlays of these different patterns being um, networks of um, mobility and car networks and networks of communication and, um, you know, different scales of, you know, infrastructure, etc. You know, and having a, a city maybe as a series of squares instead of, a, you know, a series of streets and, you know, the order of those and, um, also, also allowing for a lot of variety in a lot of um, different situations. Um, it, it won't be in um, one one situation everywhere, and through that you can see you know which gets more take up and 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 not. Knowing that the stuff that we learned out of history and studying traditional typologies is that maybe something m might be valued only later in a in a city's um, evolution. You know, as it matures later, you'll pay a higher premium for maybe a park than you would have at the start. Um, so reserving that space is um, to, to the extent we can. And, but the, the very first, um, how, you, how you would roll it out or, or design might be um, to say, maybe the, um, it also depends on the, the cash flow of the development, is that the city operator itself would build these, you can call them maybe lighthouse projects or they'll build a, a little town square um that to attract people and in the past that was also the case where a prince or a benefactor would have built in cities a, a beautiful square to it to attract merchants or to attract um a, a populace and you can maybe have a few of them and neighborhood starts forming around them and how you link them up can be either left to be random um or just saying you need to at least build up to this line so that you define a street or this is the height limit or maybe maybe sort of self-limiting by the type of material or the the you know there's the collective response to climate that people might have so um, which is nice because you need that variety otherwise it looks um, quite stale and people are if you look at a lot of things people are amazingly creative and they create beautiful things and they also want to create beautiful things and so, and through time, this um, I think beauty m might emerge by a lot of things that's presented, but also a lot of things that's rejected. Some of them would be rejected, and maybe someone, if they build an ugly, <coughs> ugly apartment or ugly office building, you know, it'll affect business, and over time they'll change it, and and um, this color would come into fashion, and that out of fashion, or these patterns, etc. Um, but there might also be a whole area where. We are very happy for to have a neighborhood as a experiment that says in this neighborhood um, you can really do what you want. It's just the property rights. Um, as long as you don't have any emissions to your neighbor, that's fine. Or even if you do and he agrees to it, that's that's fine. There might be another one that has a limited, or you know, maybe it just says um, 
you're not allowed to generate any noise or so there can be be different ones and as as time goes on we can we can try to to see um you know which would be popular and can can make profit actually well that would be amazing if you had an area where the right was <clears throat> the legislation was you have a property right that's it end of because I know a load of people that would love to build whatever they wanted. Yes. Me, yeah. myself included. I, yeah. would, I would love to experiment yeah. a little with... But, yeah, you know. but we, we did... Um, that's very interesting. So we did um, some sort of informal surveys of... Um, some people don't like it. Some people would like to know... Um, I don't like... To, would like to look into a neighbor's building. I want to have certainty that the, the building I'm looking at or the neighborhood I'm walking around is all white or all this height or to a certain quality... Um, but other people don't like it. So I, I like the idea of um, having these competing things and let the market decide. And, well, I, um, I would imagine probably, because it's very much a personality type, you probably get a 50-50. There's people that love order and then people that love mm. chaos, isn't there? But, but also there'll be a fault of the people moving to a free city already. So um, I think it's a certain... Um, already a type of, a type of person that will move there. Maybe it's already a type right? of filter, but I, I don't know which. Well, describe which that side. person then. Who do you think? Because I I got my own opinion on that. Who, what kind of person do you think wants to live in a free city? Well, well, no, right. no, let's let say me, who, who, who would be the pioneers. I think everyone would live there, but who would be the first okay. fifty people? That might be an interesting. Let me reframe uh, the question. Uh, rephrase it. What would the preferred building style of a pioneer be, according to you? I don't know. <laughs> no idea. Well, I think about but it. If you I just mean, look like, at this weekend at the at the conference, um, there's um, a lot of different personalities, probably. But but I do think that it, there might be some filter. But I haven't I haven't exactly. No, thought I'd of say what it would be. I would say that is. I mean, in your example of look at the conference. Yeah, look at the conference. Yeah. There's people who want to build tree houses, and there's people who want to build you know tower blocks. Mm. You know, there's there's a completely different group yeah, of people, yeah, and yeah. I think the point is individualism so probably you would the pioneers are no different from the people that want to settle there although i think probably settlers would appreciate normal things i i don't know that that's a kind of generalization but if i think about for example when you're selling your house if you've got a really quirky house that's a very individualistic house that you built yourself it's much harder to sell than if you've got a bland house and you paint it magnolia on the inside. And, and look, that's a much easier house to sell, isn't it? So, so maybe the, the you know, the, the, once again, maybe there's a mi- minority of people that like to build their own thing in a really quirky way. And then the majority are just like happy to, to see a roof. It's large, I don't know, I think right. it's universally <clears throat> liked to see spacious rooms mm. i think isn't it but but my reference is sort of fiat world where there is no price discovery so maybe maybe the answer is that people don't sell their houses there but what about <laughs> if you look back historically to times when yeah. there was the gold standard for example mm. the golden ages of of places what what kind of architecture was happening there well they had other problems as well so there was other things also limiting um um sort of price discovery of, of living together so and but that can be interesting if you look in the past there there are certain patterns that independently of each other reappears you know across the globe such Um, as one one would be the walkability and the incrementalism of it and um the response to local climate and local materials and um the, the need for public space and good public space um um that 
is not only built just for individuals, but also for communities and institutions to, to flourish from. And I think that's sort of a, a pattern you see appearing all over again, independently of each other, and I think it shouldn't be ignored. I think there's a massive clue <laughs> into it, and not, not like the modernists just to say, okay, well, you know, that contradicts some of our stuff, so we're going to reject it. Like we see with progressivism as well. Instead of making a new modern man, they're trying to make a new Davos man or progressive man, or and progressive man would have these values, and... Um, if you don't, you'll be... <laughs> and they tend to be shunned. just the opposite of what is anyway. Yeah. <laughs> if something's... Yeah, it's the, it's the contrarian approach. Or it's the approach of there, isn't, there is no such thing as something now. Everything is, everything is open for question. Everything is open for debate. One plus yeah. one doesn't yeah. even equal two anymore. Yeah. They, they need it's to do the, it because it, it short circuits the whole logic tree, so they have to reject it. Or, well, yeah. But and even, rejecting yeah. mathematics <laughs> is one of the hardest ones to wrap your head around because... No, you have to decolonize it, it for sure. <laughs> it, it pretty much is the, one, of the, one of the few um, things in life that is, is really provable. <laughs> one plus one is two. I don't know how you you don't get one plus one is two. Well, anyway. as, I, yeah, as I understand, there is some debates around infinity. Should there be infinity in mathematics and some of the things it used? But it, but it's a language describing things. And um, but yeah, it's it's crazy to think that we're at that point where that even that when has you to analyze be it though, it's it's it it's, it seems to be quite obviously about power mm-hmm. because. In a society where you feel disempowered, one of your attack vectors is to undermine the fabric of society. So if you and me are discussing something that we both agree with, or is it something that's universally agreed? If someone comes into our conversation and says, actually, that universal agreement, that doesn't exist. That knocks us a bit off center. And we're like, well, wait a minute, hold mm-hmm. on. So, so we're, we, at that moment, we're like, we have no, our, our ideas have no power over this person, even though they're universally accepted, you know. And I think that's where a lot of this stuff stems from. And you, you could look at that in, in terms of, I don't know, the, the gender stuff that's going on now. People demanding that they be referred to as mm-hmm. something. That's a power game, isn't it? It's like, hello... Normally yes. I'd say hi to yeah. someone. Now it's like, hello. And the next thing I'd say is, you need to call me this. You know, like, yes. I'm yeah. asserting yeah. myself yeah. right from the word go, even yes. though yeah. no one cares, yeah. really. And, and but, you know. But, but I think the irony is if, you know, if we had a friend and they, they asked to be called like that, people would say, yeah, sure, we don't care. But the whole idea that it's, it's being, their situation is being exploited by the power structures to... Um, you know, to be a little wedge to to sneak in more more powers, and as you said, the the goal is the power structures. They don't care about that individual whatsoever. They just mm-hmm. use it as a as a as a means to gain more power and say, well, in order to prevent this, um, you know, it's just a classic demagogue. So it's uh, <clears throat> and it's actually a shame that those communities aren't being exploited for this, and they fall for a hook, line, and sink, and they play into the game, and they. Um, I think uh, to their own, yeah, it's very, yeah, it's not a not a good situation. Well, like, but like you said earlier, you know, <clears throat> the modernist movement, which is all part of this same ideology, I think, came after the war, and you could argue, or, or gain traction after the war. I think it's been around for yeah, yeah. a, a long time. Yeah, let's call it that. Yes. Yeah. yeah, and there's that's an obvious 
rejection of, well, look, we've just had world wars. Something must be going wrong with the way we've been doing things. I could quite easily see myself saying, well, look, we need to reject all that because it's ended up in world war Mm. one and two. Um, But, but it's, it's, it is a strange phenomenon to behold now because it, it, it it really, I sometimes feel like um, it's the emperor's new, the emperor's got no clothes. It literally is that thing. Mm-hmm. You're looking at something is going, what, what's going on? You know, what is going on? Where, where, where where's the, where's the pragmatism mm. yeah. in, in all yeah. this? Just the normal, just streetwise pragmatism. Mm. You know, where's it gone? Same in architecture. Why are people creating these really bizarre <laughs> things yeah. that don't, uh, they're building, they're building things that, for humans that don't take humans into account in and, many ways. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. There's no, um, but, and there's going to be blowback against it and the pendulum is going to swing the other way, but it's still, it's still the same problem. Um, someone else decides, uh, elite decides for the rest of the society how they must live. Um, so the pendulum might, might swing the other way and it's going to be the same problem on the other side again. So that's not the answer. The answer is to build alternatives, um, create networks between these alternatives and and um, forcing out those those power structures and that's very much what um, um, free cities movement is all is all about and there's um, also on an institutional level there's some people in South Africa doing um, uh, sorry I mentioned South Africa <laughs> that's where, I, where I'm from where um, you know creating these civic societies and parallel institutions to government and where they can't where they fail um the these institutions are moving into that gap and um doing great work and um so but the same will be for all of these things i think the answer to most of these things would be in a sense property rights and um and voluntarism voluntarism meaning not just i'm voluntarily going to do whatever the hell i want meaning it's more meaning voluntary commitments so i voluntarily commit myself to the tennis club and clean, cleaning the i don't know club after we play or whatever and um but it's great now that there can be a physical space um because until now these were all you know sort of in in the abstract and people have been doing a lot of work, good work with institutions, but um, giving a physical space um, has a great advantage. What's your own personal take then on what would be the optimum um, use of a centralised authority in planning cities, for example, or new new jurisdictions? Um, well, I do think you need a lot of coordination. You can save yourself a lot of um, um, money, but that should be that structure should be voluntary. Um, it might also be if you, you know, you can decentralize. Maybe instead of having a national regulations or national zoning or national um, people designing um, society, in a sense, you can do it. Move down to a city scale or move down to a town scale or you know. But we are very comfortable to take it all the way down to the individual. I think the further you go, the better. But even if you go just to a, a smaller decentralized entity like a neighborhood or a quarter or a, a little town, that's already a, a, a massive victory. And if you have the situation where someone can, if they don't like it, just move to the next town, I think that process alone would um, 
would lead to more price discovery much quicker so that people can realize, okay, there's actual consequences for this. We're losing our customers if we um, you know, don't have good quality services or it's too expensive or, or whatever the case might be. But if you take that even further and you take it to a neighborhood level or a um, that that process of discovery would just be much much quicker and but we're very comfortable to take it all the way to the individual as well and there might be certain zones that we you know would do that and the individual's rights you know then you have the situation where it is you know the idea of only only recreation is the property rights and the voluntary commitments I think that would be the fun part of town. Yes, yeah. Almost certainly. <laughs> what about the... Um... And sorry, ironically, there might be even more rules in such a situation. They, they just voluntarily agreed upon. So there might be quickly a situation that people say, um, I don't like this, I'm going to um, outbid your activities there by you know, buying the property or paying you not to do it or, or maybe form a coalition with... Um, other people in the community to say, you know, demolish your house and return it to a river or or whatever. Um, and with through that process, there might be a lot of things um, affected onto the the title deed or in that contract that says, um, well, with this new situation, you're not allowed to do this, that, and the other. But everyone would be happy because it is um, voluntary. And if the situation change, you know, you can outbid it again. So. Um, so, and if someone don't want the situation to be changed, they would re- just reject the amount of money that's been given to them. So, did you yourself at Tipolis um, s- sort of land upon a particular style of building that you felt was applicable here? Mm. So, so as we went through this um, process, we realized even with the um, process of trying to model what something might look, um, apart from just looking at traditional stuff, we realized, well, that typology would be more traditional in any way. Um, so that's more sp- speaking on an uh, urban um, level. But urbanism and architecture, you can't really separate it because from, from one side, um, the the urban landscape is this fabric woven of a certain material or or, or type um, and it has a massive implication on, on everything um, so but it's also dangerous for us i think to to just say okay we decided now on this exact <laughs> style to just randomly pick something in history and start implementing it i think there needs to be be good reasons for that um, so it, it would be, you know, distilling it down to what is the, the core fundamentals of why was this um, received so well. Um, but that, that is a difficult thing, thing to do. And I think um, that would be, it's almost like searching for a new architectural language. Um, do you just like take one off the rack and start doing that? Well, ironically, it'll be much better than <laughs> the crap we have today. But we can do much better than that. We can, we can allow for a new architectural language to develop. There might be a lot of, it might be, um, take much more time than you think because it needs to be rejected by not the designers, but it needs to be presented and rejected um, by the public and the users and the individuals themselves. Um, so that process might, might take some time, I think. And so I think the best would be to have these different zones and see what the take up is and, and move forward. But having said that, there is amazing architects doing amazing work. Um, and then the idea is also not for Tiplis just to design the whole city itself. It is to invite as many architects um, to do different buildings um, and um, you know, have a, a collaborative design on them. 
which is yeah, which I, that's sort of a process. I mean, when you say t- the traditional styles, I'm thinking traditional wear as well, because you know, Japanese tradition and yes, and yeah, yeah. you know Roman yeah, tradition yeah, yeah. and uh, you know Icelandic tradition. Yeah, no, no, I, the, the better <laughs> word would be the vernacular, and some people have you know vernacular one, two, and the third vernacular of different. Um, um, countries and it, it can also be to go and investigate on uh, on wherever the project might be. What is the what is the historical vernacular there, and what was the reasons for that? Um, um, you know, the material, the climate, the culture, and then draw from that. Um, and because, of course, one of the things would be that the I think, especially at the start, the um, the most um, Inhabitants or customers <laughs> would be local, and I think they, yeah. So it is rooted in their in their culture. So a lot of these things would be transplants in a sense. Once once again, you can't just create this living organism on its own. How do you create a rhinoceros? Um, you can't just you know do a little Frankenstein job, and you know, it's not going to work. What do you think about what's your personal opinion? Not should I say on the way Dubai has evolved? What do you think? Or, or, or the Middle East in general? Because I've got mixed feelings about what's going on there because you see a lot of mm-hmm. foreign architects creating rather soulless constructions there because mm-hmm. obviously that's the Middle East. It's not yeah. Paris or it's not <laughs> yeah. this. And what's your opinion on it? Um, yeah, I do find it, find it harsh. It's um, Just to start off with, the climate is harsh, so you... It tends to be more you're inside a building, um, you go in and out. So there's there's, there's not really a public domain. Um, well, the climate might not be an excuse. If you look at the old, you know, the very old um, um, neighborhoods in Dubai, they they actually, you know, much much better looking. And people, they were yeah, there was a, a public domain, and through a lot of passive people lived in the deserts for um, with, and they sort of mastered the climate in a sense by a lot of very novel novel ideas and trial and error um, ideas over over time and yeah but obviously i i'm it's a it's it's sort of interesting from an abstract way um almost like new york would be it's very impressive from a um just the scale of it and the in an abstract way it's obviously gorgeous but to when as soon as you start interacting with it it's very hard it's not on a human scale necessarily um there's not a lot of greenery. Um, your access to it is limited, um, and yeah. well, it, it, it had, a lot of experimentation has been going on there. Though you could argue it's one of the most interesting places architecturally in the world because many times they've said, "You know, build me this." Or do this, or you know, yeah, I've spent yeah. a bit of time in a few of those those places, and some of them are strange. You know, mm. you stumble across a whole reconstructed Venice mm. with nobody there. Yes, you yeah, know, yeah, or, that's you know those yeah, kind yeah, of things. Yeah, you know, and yeah. but but what is? But I agree with you. You know, when you when you go to the souks or, or the, the markets in in the Middle East, they're cool. They're they're designed well. Mm. You walk around the streets and you don't feel hot. Um, and and they're but the problem is they went upwards, didn't they? Yeah. That's that the, the new invention of the twenty first century was be, to be able to go really high in the sky. And that mm. suddenly is a. I mean, I, I, you may have an opinion on it, 
is is it even a a good idea like is that a good way to live well know? that's once again it's not um it's not for me to say but we think that if there was price discovery if there was if you had to t- pay the true cost of a skyscraper you would have not been able to do it i mean it gets exponentially more expensive the the further you get up you know you have to pump water and there's all kinds of technical issues and um, the sheer forces of the wind especially makes um, at some stage you know the, the each story <laughs> that you add is just um, it's just really um, for the brand of the building or your company so you, you pay a premium for that and also in 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 with fiat money that's possible with um, with um, um, sound money I don't think it would have happened it's also cyclical you wouldn't have had these um, um, wrong signals um, because of the, the the fiat money system you know to say that okay now there's enough savings in the system you can build skyscrapers no it would have been a true reflection to say wait a minute um, you should not not do it and also um, if you look at property rights if there's if you if you have to pay the true price of stealing someone's light maybe or how it influences um, other properties it, it might also be problematic the this is one of the things it's sort of it's given to you you no one asks for it it's sort of given to you almost like modernism as well um, the and it, it tends to be these these objects next to each other and you don't really you can't really string a city together how do you get from the one to the other one you know you go down basement get your car and, and go around it's very rarely that you can just like walk to another one um, and I think once again all of those soft um, human human needs for, for beauty and connectivity to other humans has been neglected by, by the, um, yeah, the centralists I would say and, and the centralists when you add fiat money you get uh, my towers bigger than your tower is that what you're saying? It's like the the the, the building upwards is a, is a symbol of power. It's not yeah, necessarily. It be, but, but sometimes it's fine to um, in in old days it was also it's to make a statement. It's it's fine. I just think it's actually a case where you're doing it with other people's money because of the broken money system, which is I, I think unfair. Is it true traditionally? Let me think about this. That when we built up high, mm-hmm. it was mainly religious. It was mainly like, wow, that's amazing. People weren't living high up in the sky, were they, in, in, no. in the past? I mean, we've built some impressive cathedrals with very tall spires, but there was never a thought of living there. They were always a, a way to impress. Yeah, well, well even yeah. today, if you, if you live in a skyscraper building, you're quite isolated from what's happening on the ground. Um, yeah, I, um, I, the thought uh, of living uh, in a skyscraper. <laughs> Apart from the view, it can be interesting, um, etc. but I think... Um, um, the maybe back to the church thing. Maybe that was also because it's other people's money. I'm not sure, but I think it was a bit more voluntary in certain periods and not voluntary in other periods. Cathedrals, um, though, do give you a sense of awe. Mm-hmm. When you walk it into is. an impressive cathedral, there is a sense of awe, mm-hmm. and that sense of awe is important in the religious experience. I think, and and after in in a way after you know religious buildings, you've got banks that. Banks used to be really impressive as well. I don't know. They're, they're, they're not as impressive now, but they used to be really impressive buildings back in the day. If, yeah. you, if, if there was a, a town, the bank would always be the impressive one, wouldn't yeah. it? I, uh, think, and, I think that might have been to, to show, when it was on a gold standard, it might have been, so I'm just sort of guessing here, but that um, I know banks also 
had to display their gold. You know, you can go and inspect the gold to make sure that they, hmm. there's not going to be a run on the bank, um, that they do indeed is not partaking into fractional reserve banking, that they can each note that they issue, they can actually back it up with gold. And I think maybe part of that was to show, listen, we have this sturdy building um, we're not running it out of a little shack. Um. <laughs> I was thinking more modern than that, but that's an interesting... I've never heard that before. That's quite interesting. That I, I just I was just thinking, I, I've watched um, some parts of Asia grow really rapidly. I've, I've been to many places before they were really built up. And I just noticed in a number of countries, the first big impressive buildings that appeared were banks you know, in, in Southeast Asia and in Mongolia and places like that. And now it's not. Now it's it's other things. It's it's companies, it's this, it's that, you know. Yeah. That's interesting. I don't know the reason for that. It might be it might not be true. Might be because they're the closest <laughs> closest to the um closest to the money printer. So um Yeah, maybe. Um I'm not sure. And they did good business. I mean um they yeah, they one of the sectors that um, artificially made way too much money. I think. What's your um, opinion on ornamentation in the free city world? Uh, do you mean on buildings or yes. statues and artworks? Well, I meant and, buildings, but now yeah. I'm thinking of statues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's that's great. But once again, it's um, it's not for us to decide. But you know, studying human nature, we can think that people do like them and. Um, it's just a question of who decides what it, what it can be, but that can also be privatized. There's no reason why why it couldn't be. Maybe the and and privatized doesn't always mean one owner. It means it can also mean the community itself. Uh, you know, forms a company that owns the river or owns the park, and you know they vote like a company, and and um, you commit yourself to whatever the board says. Um, and there can can be a lot of different um, ones. There can be um, how you can even say something happens on in the park, but you don't even you live far away, but you only you're part of a bidding system that contributes maybe you know a dollar a dollar a month to make sure that this activity doesn't happen or this one does happen in that bidding process to see um, um, which which statue or which activity you know should should be the best, and but ornamentation. Um, um, can be great. It, so I'm just thinking of sort of a graphic. Normally, people prefer if there's ornamentation that it it can become haphazard. So it'll be maybe from the same material, um, um, because there's always this this interplay of chaos and uniformity. If you maybe look at a street with different buildings together, um, you mean, know, some, sometimes some, sometimes <laughs> we're you know, on one now. I mean, the, the reason <laughs> I mentioned it is because. The window over there, if you look out, the building opposite, not this one, you can't see it, it's around ah. the corner there. <laughs> but that window, when you look out, the ornamentation on the building opposite us is literally Roman, um, it's a fresco, of, of a carved fresco that yeah. goes all the way along. And then next door, there's nothing. It's still ornament, it's still the ornamentation, but it's much more traditional. But this one really is, and I was just thinking about it, thinking, hmm. well, yeah. that's, in the modern era, that would be called a complete waste of money. Because, but every time, <laughs> like we've got an American lady on the, from the foundation, it's her first time in Prague, and she's walking around with her mouth open, going, "This is amazing! This is amazing!" As we do as well, yeah, you know. So yeah. it, we obviously appreciate all that and the higgledy piggledy nature of it. It's not. We don't care that none of the buildings match each other. 
in style, which a lot of them along here don't. Mm. I like that. I, oh, well, they do have a lot of things in common. So there is a bit of order to it and rhythm, etc. And um, But also the interplay of a variety as well. So sometimes maybe you have... A, you know the buildings are all the same color, but they'll different. In, they'll be different in shape. But if the shapes are the same or the volumes are the same, then there might be more difference in texture, or color, etc. Um, um, this architect Nicholas um, Sanningaros he speaks a lot um, of that of how that is um, sort of a, a fractal quality of um, of of pattern. How the um, you'll that ornament and that detail, even down to the materiality of the stone and the little holes you see in the stone or the the texture you see on the wood and the little lines of how that it needs to be scaled up and in um, the building, would that, that pattern would repeat on a larger scale in, in the building. Um, so that is, I think that's a very, very important observation in in what most of the people would find beautiful and, and attractive. And that is... That is something that is lost in, in even contemporary architecture. Sometimes they do it artificially, and um, but you don't have that um, it's not part fractal of the f- complexity. It's, yeah. it's yeah, yeah, um, and yeah, but it's it's gorgeous. Um, but obviously, you have to be careful that you don't look like a doesn't look like you in a. I don't know. Very, it can be very haphazard, obviously. But people people do like it, and I I also like it. I'm not sure I've ever heard of someone walking around the streets of Prague going, this place is ugly. <laughs> like, no one comes to Prague and says, where's the modernist sector? I want to go and see the modernist <laughs> sector. It's like, you know, this street's got a mm. beautiful tower at the end yeah. of it, and yeah. all the buildings are are yeah. incredible. And, uh, you know... That, that, that's a that's an interesting point. So I, would, I wouldn't say we, should, we would just go back in... This is gorgeous. I think um, if you just use this as um to start off you'll be you know successful already the but in searching for a new language as we have new materials and new building um, um methods it it might be well the whole idea is it, it's going to be cheaper to build in this new language and this new language um um would typically be more organic um the shape of it might have different attributes um, not just the structure or the it might also be as it does that it's ventilating something or it filters something um, the material the shape would be you'll only need a very thin thin layer that can be much stronger than um, um, of, of, of a different material and <clears throat> so that new language is is busy to um, to being explored and to evolve, but we don't know what that's going to be yet. So uh, we we have to wait. And but I think in the free city we will also start adopting that and have certain areas where you experiment with it. And and the interesting thing is, it's easy to do one building of it, but how do you create this this um, urban fabric of people doing it together so that it's um, that it becomes a language and not just a, a, a object standing alone. Um, that you can't in- interact with, um, you know, to make to make a city, um, you know, to make a street or <clears throat> to share boundaries with. Um, but there, there has been, um, if you look at, um, say, traditional um, organic architecture <clears throat> shapes in Africa, it's, so there has been languages like that. It's been quite beautiful. 
I mean, when you look at <clears throat> the area I live in, well, very close by us, is famous for timber frame buildings. They're black and white buildings. And they're, they're, they're beautiful to look at, but they're very functional because they are a very rigid structure. It makes sense. They build the structure out of wood and then you fill the gaps in between with mortar or whatever you want. And mm-hmm. I, <clears throat> I, I like, personally, obviously, a really diverse bunch of buildings. I find it actually a bit strange when you see all the same building. There's one village, uh, town near us, which has the most <clears throat> black and white buildings in the country, I think it is. And it's beautiful, but it's a bit weird as well. You walk into yeah, the town yeah, centre yeah. and it's like, yeah. a ch- everywhere you look are black and white buildings. And um, it's, it, I, get, I would get the same feeling in a, in a brutalist town square. It's like they're all square buildings, you know. And personally, I like to see a bunch of different things, which... Mm-hmm arguably the free cities model would give you that, that was another question i was going to ask you <clears throat> when you plan these things how much of the infrastructure and the kind of public buildings are you considering that you're going to lay down yourself um maybe just before, on your previous point it was it's almost like italian food or, or just food in general we like different things we like a range of food and um, um italian food was they perfected food that was um you know cheap and abundant it wasn't you know it doesn't have to be the most expensive caviar to enjoy it and i think the same there's a parallel with that with the architectural language as well um, you know the, the whole range and but it it has to stood the test of time and you know and have to evolve into something the <clears throat> the infrastructure um or public buildings as well though. Yeah, yeah 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 so um, I think that depends on exactly the the situation, where um, how much funding there is to start with. Um, do you ideally you can you know start constructing large parts, but the idea is also to do it incrementally and organically so that you can get more more information in, and it's just better for cash flow and normally how developments work. Um, so you'll you'll start building out maybe a marina um, with um, some shops and a, a, a bit of a public domain maybe there's a, from the marina a, a little boulevard to a, a town square and that might be the the skeleton where you can start off with and then <coughs> also the infrastructure needed needed for that <coughs> infrastructure wise it's also um i think we're moving into an era where a lot of it can be more decentralized um which is great. So you might start off with, um, I don't know, say desalination or a borehole for water or collecting water, and then later you you have different system laid on on top of each other, and they 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 don't need to be as central anymore, um, which is great. There's um, it's more resilient, and you know it's easier to to roll out, especially at the start for cash flow. That you don't have to have this uh, massive water infrastructure and wait you know decades for it to to fill up um you can in the interim you can use that money much better and the same goes for electricity and power and sewage and waste um yeah and presumably what about the <clears throat> the city operators headquarters or something i assume that's something you probably have to build yourself well, <laughs> yes, yeah, of course, you'll, you'll build so the building for that. So what style would but you use then? <laughs> <laughs> How would you build it? What's it going to look like? I haven't made a decision on that yet. It, it'll, it will be context-dependent. Um, 
Um, and it, it might also be something that, that scale. And, and also the city operator might be very lean at, at the start. We sort of encourage as much as much peer-to-peer um, Interaction. So, for example, the city operator might not. We'll have some services so that the city can work, but maybe some of. Let's look at waste, for example. Maybe the city operator's answer of what do we do with waste? Are we going to collect people's waste? Maybe it's. Um, maybe the answer is um, no, we don't do much. Um, <clears throat> so, then soon someone would realize, okay, we need. We need to take our waste away and we'll invite someone to start a company and they can say, okay, well, you can't just dump your waste somewhere. You're going to have to pay damages because it's encroachments on someone's property. You can't just flush it in the river. Uh, and then you'll realize, okay, I have to pay to get my waste removed. Um, a business would take care of that and an entrepreneur would say, okay, well, I'll take your waste away. You'll make a deal with an, another property and maybe do a landfill or you'll ship it out to another country or... Um, have a waste to energy um, thing that you can do and um, maybe he does a poor job and there's another company that realizes, okay, well, he deals with this, but I give me your the organic organic waste, I'll take it off for my farm. I, I'll even pay you for it or collect it for free. And soon you have this whole uh, market discovery um, impacting that. The um, Because it's not really something like waste. Everything is a resource, you know, to be used for, for something else. Um, the um, so so that's in a way that where the where some of the services can be can be quite quite lean, um, <clears throat> but we will of course um, you don't want people just to move to a place and tell them okay <laughs> you're on your own. You. <laughs> <laughs> get no, on with it no so there will definitely be a very soft landing for people um, coming in you know with waste and with um, power and water and safety and security and telecommunications and all the all the luxuries um, one expects from a, a, a modern world. Um, but the idea is to to do this in partner with other businesses so that they, to, as quickly as possible, introduce competition in into all of that. Otherwise, you're just recreating a normal municipality where everything is subsidized and, you know, the quality suffers, there's no incentives um, and you miss out on the... Uh, the the quality and reductions in price that that competition bring and also the innovation of that so to to get that going as quickly as possible that might be done by um oh, there's various ways you can get, you know later sell some of the um utilities to other people who have public auctions doing it and also knowing that nothing stops a citizen from um using another service mm. yeah Final question, because I'm cognizant of time here. Um, I don't know whether you can talk about stuff like this, but is there are there any projects on the go that you can speak about about that are being designed? Um, unfortunately, we always feel very bad that we can't um, say which locations because um, it is it is unfortunately sometimes politically sensitive. Yeah, and I know. <laughs> But there are certain certain regions, and um, we are in negotiations with governments, and you know, more or less five in talks with more or less five governments at any given time, and on a very serious level. And there's a another list of you know fifteen more or less where that's in different f- phases of um, of maturity. 
And yeah, but there's, yeah, so, but let's just say there's been places where we already are, are designing, um, you know, sort of the master pattern of what, what things can, can look like on it. Yes. And you'll hear, when, the, when you can, you'll hear about them here first, I'm sure. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, Martinus, thank you for coming in. It's fascinating talking. I'm glad that I have an ally in my hatred for modernism as well. Um, because um, it uh, it means a lot. <laughs> well, some of them are beautiful objects. You have some of these objects that are beautiful in modernism. Um, really, which one? <laughs> <laughs> but it's just it's beautiful as an object. But you don't want to. You can't string a city together of that. You don't want them all over the place. It's it might be a standalone thing somewhere else, and some people like it and some dislike it. But um, um, I'm not but even yeah. sure they're pretty <laughs> objects. I'll be perfectly honest. <laughs> I like the. Um, I like. I don't, what's the word? I like the mistakes. I don't like straight no. lines. I like curvy lines. I even like just slightly unstraight lines. And, and you know, Bauhaus, Le Corbusier, these kind of <laughs> monstrosities. Um, you see them in London, you know, mm-hmm. in, in the centre of London, former beautiful areas which are knocked down and and in the but of the barbican's a classic example yes, it's, yes, it's yeah, a, yeah. and you know like i because i lived and worked in london for many years and you when you drive past the barbican you literally drive past it you, you don't <laughs> you don't become part of it whereas when you're driving down other streets in london you're you're in london and then you get to those kind of wide roads around the barbican and you mm. just don't have any interaction with it at all it's so obviously a bad design yeah yeah, yeah. um but well, well sometimes i'm enjoying them maybe just as an artifact out of history because we studied them it's um it's going to it's like modern art in a sense you oh you recognize that and yeah but you know, i don't you, know you modern art either. yeah <laughs> that's, <laughs> well, that's a very is, great parallel to that yeah yeah modern art's yeah, the same yeah, it's, it's yeah. also <clears throat> pretty mm-hmm. trashy and a rejection yes. of beauty and all this kind of stuff yeah. the the thing that people do say though about you know like bauhaus architecture when you say, oh, you know, that's, I don't like it. People say, oh, but people, you know, like people always rejected the, to the, the style of the day and stuff. But I don't think that's true, is it? Yeah, I don't think in that case. I think that was something that was given to, to people, not, um, and, but people are not the same, obviously. A lot of people <clears throat> might like it and um, for historical reasons and as a counterculture, this and that. But um, I think if you try to, well, it goes into the question, is there something like objective beauty or is everything subjective? I think there might be something of like objective beauty. Undoubtedly, there is. Like so, we've got thousands always, of years of history to show yeah, that yeah. people have yes. literally sung, drawn, designed right. <laughs> with beauty in mind. You but, know? but obviously there's still the spectrum and maybe, you know, who are we to say where the spectrum must start and end? But I'm, I think You're I know like what I like. You sound like a postmodernist now. <laughs> Nothing's no, real. No, postmodernism. <laughs> no, no, but that's the danger. I think they use that little half truth of saying there is a bit of a spectrum and really um, try to use that and to say, well, because of that, that means there is no truth. But I do believe there is an objective. Um, but it, I think there is a distribution um, um, of that. Um, I, I, well, <clears throat> but I think it's much narrower than they than they would make out. Mm. Well, especially in the case of real hard sixties you know modern modern design you know you see it all over cities around the world and it's very hard to look at a sort of tower block 
which and, and inevitably as well. I mean, the Barbican's an exception because it's right in the middle of London, mm-hmm. right in the middle of London. But other than that, most of these buildings are for sort of like poorer people, aren't they? Your average kind of like modernist building was built for the masses. It wasn't mm-hmm. built for the elites. They built it for the masses. And I think it it, it just shows because they, they didn't really, you know, they didn't really care. And I'm not even sure that, I mean, it really says a lot about what some people think about mm. people. Yeah, you should live in boxes piled on top of each other. I mean, that's basically what you're but, saying, but, isn't but it? Why, <laughs> but why do a lot of people find the Barbican so fascinating and some people love it, even though... Because it's a monstrosity, I think. Th- well, think- because it is. It's, an, like, it's, it's like, for example, sometimes people design ultra-modern buildings and, and slap them right in the middle of nature, yeah. don't you? You see them in, yeah. on Instagram <laughs> yes. and they're so brutally placed that they're, they're, they're in a curiosity. You look at them and go, oh my... They have absolutely no connection to the landscape There's definitely curiosity value to it, I think. Yes. Yeah. But the problem with I find with those kind of buildings, and it's the same with, like, even on a microscale when people redesign their kitchen and they do it in a very modernist way, they don't age well. What natural-looking buildings do is they get a patina. They get, they get a used feel, which gets better with age. Whereas modern, modernist buildings, because they have such sharp lines and clean colours and all this kind of stuff, as they get older, they look worse. <laughs> and they really do. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, you can look at a, a, a 600-year-old Tudor, or a Tudor building that's slightly crumbling down, and it yeah. still looks beautiful. Yeah. Whereas if you look at the Barbican, which is what happens to a lot of these 60s buildings, mm-hmm. is within 25 years... They look horrendous. Mm. And, uh, you know, they don't inspire people to look after them as well because they're so brutal, Mm. you know. Um, Modernists also suffered from the technical things of how to handle water with the new materials. So that that hasn't been thought out through, really. So they have a lot of sort of water damage and had to be closed. Yeah, flat roofs and things like that. So the, the... so we, we spoke about modernism as a movement, but how do you feel about contemporary architecture? Um, it depends what you mean by that. Um, you know, people doing stuff in bamboo in a new shape or in... Um, well, look... I've, or in timber, you get amazing new timber buildings. Um, or here's that, my, that's, not, that's not necessarily in a traditional pattern, but... Um, my, my opinion on, on architecture is, will it last... 400 500 years that's kind of all i care about and we've just mm-hmm. we we bought a, a 400 year old house in the uk an old farm and we renovated it over eight years and i also built extensions onto it and the extensions i built on were hugely over engineered thick walls stone you know wooden frames made with very thick sort of like harder hard, you know and that's my style of architecture is, is is it going to be here in 400 years? Because all the buildings we live in are, have been around for a very long time and they stood the test of time. And that's kind of all I care about, really. Uh, but I think there is, a, there is a design that goes along with buildings that last a long time. That's just a, a fact of nature, like for, you, you mm-hmm. mentioned um, water damage. Obviously, roofs in that shape are really good at stopping water damage happen. Flat yes, roofs, on yeah. the other hand, are a well, terrible idea yeah, in rainy yeah. places. Well, well, normally if you see something in nature and something that um, stood the test of time, it normally has more than one function, normally three or four things. You know, if you look at the roof, um, um, how it casts a shade and gives sunlight to the neighbor and it, it maybe makes a, 
a volume that you can use and that volume can also insulate, etc., etc. But um, back back to your point of something to last, um, so I don't know, I can't remember who it is, but that said, um, if you if you want something to last, you don't make it um, um, functional, you make it beautiful. Oh, well, I'd like to shake that man or woman's hand. I think um, I, I would agree wholeheartedly because you want to care for it and look after it then. Yes. That would be my, yeah, 100%. This is why, you know, brutalist buildings are, are, are not even designed to last 50 years probably because who wants to care for them? Unless they are like the Barbican or there's a few places in West London that I know which are slap banging that some yeah. of the most expensive neighbourhoods yeah. in London. So, of course, they're going to look after them. You know, because they're, they're maybe they're, there's just so much steel and concrete, you know, that you it's physically impossible to remove it. Like that building in Berlin where they had to build a, <laughs> a tower over a bunker. Well, Berlin's a good example because I used to live in Berlin as well. Yeah, and Berlin at one point was you know almost destroyed, and um, in the streets that I lived in Prenzlauerberg, which all the buildings at one point were just bullet strewn, and Fortunately, a large majority of them have been done up with traditional facades, but you do see the ones that, you know, you see blooded. And then all of a sudden there's yeah. like a, a robot sort of structure <laughs> going tall, thin thing. And it, it is jarring, but I think in, in, in a way in, in Berlin it kind of works because, you know, it, it shows you the diversity mm-hmm. of, of building styles and the chaos and the chaotic. Yeah, and it has a very particular history as well. Yes. But the problem you see I have with those with modern buildings, and I agree with safety in here, fiat buildings are using materials that aren't built to last. Mm-hmm. And and almost the part of the business model is knock them up fast, yes. build them quick make some money and then if they need to be knocked down again i don't care yeah. that's not i'm a hard money person i'm yes. a, I, I think if i'm going to build a building which we have done i want it to be there in in 400 years and i'm going to do that and i feel happy sitting in my building mm-hmm. that i think will last 400 years and i hope that sentiment comes back and i hope it uh, in free cities it's there because i think currently we were talking about you know what kind of people come to a free cities conference most people are of the opinion that hard money's whatever that be gold mm-hmm. bitcoin mm-hmm. whatever are, are are a source of are a form of money that inspires longevity and long-term thinking and and history would show that as well that during periods of history when um, hard monies were used mm-hmm. the 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 kind of the idea of printing money didn't exist therefore the idea of just whacking up things that didn't matter everything mattered more in those in those days you know what i mean it, it, it and i hope that that that's a a sort of a, a phase we're entering back into and you know free cities will will hopefully be part of that well one of the common denominators of the people at the conference might be the time preference um <laughs> i think of, so. Of them. Yeah, so that might be one no i um, think i think yeah. it is i think it's a very unifying factor yeah. Because let's face it, if you're thinking of building a free city, in you're not really probably even thinking that it's going to happen in your lifetime in many cases. You're, you're planting the tree that someone else is going to have shade under, aren't, aren't you? Yeah. Um, unless, you know, and, and yeah, so we are, I mean, I think in general, yes, I, I think most people here do have low time preference. 
Um, I certainly do. Anyway, anyway, like, I'll stop going on now. I'm ranting. It's because it's late on a. Okay. It's 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 <laughs> late on a Friday Saturday night, isn't it? We we have a dinner to go to as well, don't we? Anyway, um, Martinus, thanks for um, thanks for talking, and uh, I've really enjoyed this. Thanks. Thanks, Tim. Thanks so much. Very interesting. Thank you.